Gentlemen, <laughs> we are on the, I'm on the road. I guess the only, and Ian, you are on the road. Yes, I'm Ian on Strimbeck the road. Ian um, here, all the way from beautiful New Hampshire. Yes, from southwest New Hampshire. Where, because you're alive, you must be living free. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Ish. Ish. <clears throat> uh, we've congregated in the home of the... Joel Holmes. Um, Welcome. Welcome to my humble abode. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're above the garage. Below a picture of Bernardino. Some world championship jerseys on the wall. Some Randy Ratcliffe. Woodblock prints. A couple old bikes, as one would imagine. And um, a well-stocked bar. Getting less well-stocked by the day. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but that's all right. Um, you know, it just proves that we're free and alive or something. Yes, I something guess. like that. Uh, I'll just sample a little outer darkness <laughs> to brighten up my inner darkness. And then, um, well, we should, ha- are we going to have a conversation, you guys? Or are we just going to like, uh, Joe has notes. He's got a notebook. Yeah, I feel, uh, I feel underdressed you, for the occasion. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, it doesn't look like he's, got any questions written down in it was that just to sort of write things down that came up that you would forget otherwise because yeah. of your yeah. um you know or points to make without talking over someone else to, uh, you know. yeah okay well anyway so the um we i do have the mobile kit so um this is you know it's not the ideal situation in terms of sound quality but it doesn't fucking matter because you mean uh, the Dyson in the background is? Uh, <laughs> I, um, that's not gonna. I don't think that's gonna bother too much. I think the down, like turning it off, would be worse because then it gets super fucking cold in here, uh, or not super cold because we are in the northwest. But it would be like, and we have a roof over our heads, so we wouldn't get that other thing the northwest is known for. Well, it's also because I'm here. So, oh. You are Mr. Rain Nation. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Wherever um, I go. We lucked out, though, with the indoor-outdoor range. Yes, that was, it, it was a good, happy medium of just a light sprinkle, yeah. and we were just under long enough before scurrying back to top off mags every time that it wasn't too bad. And then by the time that it got better, there was no rain and it ended up being good. Yeah. Yeah, it was all right, and it's like two blocks from your... Joe, you, you lucked into, like, the... It's, it's, it's better a than really my fine shooting range, um, at least proximity-wise, and and certainly good enough. Um, and so, listeners, if you the, haven't uh, sort of figured it out yet, we did have a little shooting session this morning, um, where the Joe Holmes was a student, and Ian uh, from I'm going to say from, but you are actually. It, it's, you're not from. You are your own boss. Yes. Um, Rune Nation, and I've, t- I've t- I don't know how many. Let's see had four different days of instruction with you this year yes two uh in june i drove out to colorado for a couple of days and then um up to 
northern Idaho in July. Is that July? July, beginning of August. Beginning of August, yeah. Um, and since there is uh, some more educational opportunities this weekend uh, in the great town of Bremerton, Washington, yes. um, I decided to drive up and, uh, and then just and, and congregate. So yesterday I got to bike ride with Joe on home roads. Today got to watch um, Ian instruct again, which is, um, I guess, one of the, the I think we, we, I mean, obviously we congregated around shooting and that sort of thing, but also ideas and language. Always about language. It's always about language. And as I noted today, I said, man, watching you teach is, is wonderful every time I get to see it, even if I'm only observing and shooting pictures as I was today. Um, so New Englander from the start. Yes, uh, originally born and raised in the uh, communist and draconian state of uh, Massachusetts. Uh, lived there my entire life in a suburb north of Boston. So you are a masshole. Yes, I am technically a masshole. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, I, literally now my, my family now lives the next town over from me. So theoretically, I have no reason to ever really go back uh, to Massachusetts, nor do I really have a desire to. I, I make my buy bi-yearly uh, kind of flock back there. I, there's, a, there's a range I actually teach at right over the border in Hudson, uh, Massachusetts, pretty north central Massachusetts. And uh, that's, I, that's I, the revolver I, class, right? Because you <laughs> have to go back in time to, yes, yes, to we, I, adhere I, to Massachusetts. Yes, yes, I, yeah, I have to leave your car at the border and then jump into a horse-drawn carriage that will then take you, <laughs> <laughs> take you to the range. No, they're all Today good. Today we shoot muskets. Yes, yes. Tally-ho, lads. <laughs> Don't spit up your beer. <laughs> yeah, I put it on the tray so I wouldn't kick it over yeah. onto the carpet, and then I just ended up spitting it all over the place. Because, no, yeah. they're 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 uh, they're pretty good sports there. Uh, previously, even though I was born in Massachusetts, whenever I used to live there, and I used to teach on the side. Um, part-time I used to have to travel to a range right over the border in New Hampshire because no range at that time that I knew of would allow you to do the things I was teaching like I don't know drawing from the holster uh, you know moving offline basic things that you should know as a concealed carrying citizen but ranges there are very antiquated and they're you know all about you know staying in your little lane designated at the range and only picking up from the bench and only reloading from the bench uh, but thankfully this this range it's a little hole in the wall place is pretty open to the the modern type of uh, shooting that's out there and they allow me to come there twice a year and it's a pretty solid turnout uh, just because a lot of students uh, that live there are pretty, uh, as we say, thirsty for knowledge because there's yeah. not, they know a lot of people aren't going to come there to teach. So whenever the opportunity comes up, um, it, it does pretty well um, at that range and in that area, thankfully. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And so we were talking today, like you've been basically teaching for teaching-ish for 10 years. Yep. But full-time, like got out of corporate and everything, but full-time for the last four Yep, almost four years. It'll. I I left. Uh, I actually started my company in April of seventeen. Um, still had the full time corporate job till about that middle of September, and then uh, as soon as that, gave my two week notice, and then I've been doing this ever since. 
Um, and previously, up until that point, I'd worked under other people as their cadre for their company teaching okay. on the side whenever I had time, usually on the weekends in intermittently, um, but was still you know, in the teaching and uh, firearms space probably since I left the Marine Corps and probably at the end of 2010 is when I first started getting uh, serious about it and actually looking into it from a not just a fun perspective, but seeing how I could you know, pursue this more or less. You're you're a, a teacher at heart, though, and I can't I, I can't imagine that the corporate world was um, that accommodating for you. Or no, no, not at all. Uh, but I knew that as we had previously been talking about um, after lunch, that sometimes it's a necessary evil um, to, I guess, really understand and see what you are willing to do to never go back to that. And I <laughs> and, yes, yes, and I and I think more people need to have that perspective instead of thinking that this is where I am and this is where I have to stay when everything is temporary, especially, you know, what we're doing now, breathing, like it's only temporary. And more people need to have that serious conversation that, you know, this is literally only such a f small fragment of what we have. Why waste it on things that you are absolutely miserable in? Uh, Sorry, was that no, 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 no. <laughs> jumping like in too deep there? No, not at all. I, I mean, that's... Um I, I think it's no. We have to go there, but but uh, yeah, things are temporary, and and the and the 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 counting on things um, in that you know are supposedly going to happen in the future. Like oh, it's going to be better. I'm betting on my future, which is how you acquire you know not you, but how people acquire debt. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know, and that could be in the form of student loans. It could be in the form of like buying a house that you can't afford or driving a car that you haven't necessarily earned, but you had as your screensaver on your laptop and then it manifested, but with a fucking $1,200 a month payment or some shit. Um, and I think that's why people get Got, like get locked into and have their vision changed by um, those jobs that maybe they don't dig that much and they just have to stay there and, and I mean in that twitching article that I wrote when it was so fucking long ago it's like hey your debt makes you obedient you know mm -hmm. or acquiescent you're gonna yes. always say you're gonna be a yes man until you have a fuck you in your back pocket and it sounds like you um, I mean yeah you made the commitment left doubled down on the fuck you in my back pocket yeah. and then just like like you're making it work and yeah. and in a variety of ways yeah. too i mean I, yeah yeah i, I mean it's 100% terrifying to especially with a wife three kids a mortgage you know that type of thing to be like yep and put put all my eggs in my basket here and hopefully it works out and not hopefully because as we all know hope isn't a method however um, you really have to take that leap into the unknown and kind of figure things out if things go good awesome if things go bad which they will how am I going to improvise on the spot adapt and, and figure it out and with most people in my opinion they're not willing to go to those depths to uh, really kind of figure themselves out along with the fact of uh, going to that places or that place of the unknown and that terrifies most people. Yeah, but, it, but it, it's, I mean, if we look at it seriously, it's all unknown and you can, but, but by having this job with this plan, 
um, you give yourself the appearance of making it known. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can count on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, guess what? Fucking pangolin bat soup or whatever, and now you can't control shit. Yeah. Um, so stock up on toilet paper because you can't control shit. Uh, I I th- think the... Um, yeah, that, that 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 known thing is is an illusion. But enough people have, you know, followed that recipe and got a pretty good. Um, this is a this is a Ohio reference, right, Joe? Got a pretty good casserole out of that. Mm. <laughs> uh, out of that, even with the chips, the crumbled up paper, potato chips on top. Yes, of course. The type casserole, but they 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 followed the recipe, got a good enough casserole out of it that other people think it's that. Um, we start believing that, okay, that is the recipe to follow, or that is the way out. This is what I should do. And if I do it, then I'm going to get that. I'm going to come to get dessert after my casserole too, if I work, if I do really good, but, um, but, but, but take making that commitment to leave the, the corporate world. And, um, I'm guessing you were not heavily tattooed at that time. Like you probably got a couple in the Marine Corps, but they were, Actually, oh my, yes. Uh, so I had what I have now with both the sleeves and the torso and the legs and all that while I was in the Marine Corps, and it actually wasn't until I was at this job, which um, was a local uh, shirt printing company, okay. Um, and I was working in there, and they were very open um, about uh, not only dress policy but. You know, it's a adornment. It, yes, or? it's a it's a Vermont. It's a it's a town that borders Vermont, so they're pretty liberal with their sensibilities at this okay. uh, company. So I actually got my hands done when I worked there, uh, and they were completely okay with it. Wow. Um, and see, I thought I had a complete nope, misunderstanding about nope. that. I thought that was like I'm leaving corporate. I'm never going back, and I'm going to do the backs of my hands and my fingers so that I am unhirable in the future. Well, I, I pretty much still made that uh, because I realized once I got that done, like if I were to leave this job and didn't do this, then yeah, I'd be pretty right. screwed. Yeah. <laughs> because it's or real, you'd be stuck at that yeah, job. Yeah, or, or I would suck at that job. Uh, so I, yeah, I didn't get my lower knuckles done until I was, was on my own, but I got most of my hands done while I was in there. And uh, to tell you the truth, it was on, honestly the most terrifying tattoo I'd gotten. You know, I'd, I'd been getting tattooed. I think I got my first one actually before I went in the military when I was still a junior in high school. So I was like the coolest junior in high school to tattoo. I guess, yeah. Uh, and then it kind of, so yeah, about a decade's worth of tattooing and still my hands were the most terrifying because I knew that uh, once, like before that, I could cover everything up with a suit and a, you know, I, I even measured my neck. So if I put a dress shirt on, you couldn't see anything. Yeah. Because when I did a lot of exec protection work, when I worked in Boston, obviously they, they, they had no idea the company I worked for. They had no idea that I was even had any tattoos because I wore a suit all the time. Nice. Uh, but when I got the hands done, it was like, all right, this is it. This is the point, no return. You know, unless I wear gloves for the rest of my life and people look like I'm a, you know, Russian hitman or something, you know. Or, you know, <laughs> it's COVID-19 times. Oh, yeah, true. Then, I probably, you know, probably could just get away with wearing black gloves all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, or bright orange, you know, or you bright orange, direct yeah. traffic or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like uh, even driving to my tattoo artist uh, from, uh, f- from my house, like I was just sweating. And the same thing when I got in the chair and he hit the, the first line of it. I was like, all right, it's done. It's over with. Now it, it, 
it, it, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. But uh, for for me, essentially, like I I know I'm pretty limited now, um, especially with the situation as a whole and, and work employment as a whole that I have to make this work because if not like I have not only myself like it'd be a different story if I was just by myself and I had you know a one room studio and my dog but yeah. I got other people that depend on me as well so I have to for sure make this work there's no other option so um, it's as someone that is fortunate to have this um, and I don't know the timeline of your relationship with your wife but it's, I know it's been important for me and I'm assuming for you as well that not only was it in a way a leap of faith for you, but it's a leap of faith for your partner and having a partner that understands that, okay, like, you know, this is what Ian, this is the pathway that he needs to do or Jennifer with, with me is, I mean, is with, did you start what you're doing now um, before you were married, or was it something that like, uh, hey, so honey, I wanna, so I actually <laughs> want to do this thing. <laughs> I, I actually met my wife Jennifer, ironically enough, good name, um, at my first job when I moved to New Hampshire, and we were dating um, t- together for a few years, and then we ended up um, getting married, and she on- honestly was the one who. Uh, push me off the cliff so to speak because okay. she straight up said to me she said look you're either going to be known as a, a locally based instructor for the rest of your life and you're just going to teach around here on the side or you're you're going to do this full-time which one are you going to do and I was like all right well I'm not going to let my uh my wife outdo me here so get my two-week notice and now we're here so it was actually it was actually because of her that that pushed me off that cliff to figure it out cool. were you um when you were instructing, have you always been writing and like communicating in that way? Because that to me is some of the most, one of the most beautiful aspects of, yes, you're a capable teacher. Like, um, I'll just say accomplished or capable. I didn't want to use capable yeah. twice, but um, it, 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 instructor, shooter. But it's the fact that you're think to me that you're thinking all the time mm-hmm. that you have come through a variety of other disciplines as well or, 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 or trained them in parallel with the shooting of, you know, we talked a bit earlier about the two years of sort of going down the Olympic lifting road. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, I wouldn't really call intermittent fasting a hobby, but, um, <laughs> you know, or something that one could get skilled at. It's just yes. like, oh, I know I can suck it up. Like it's going to hate my life and I don't eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Except for that five hour feeding. Window. Oh, yes. And then yes. Fucking dig the hell out of it. But, um, um, and, and alongside that, you know, the, um, the combatives, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Judo, I imagine some other things, mm-hmm. um, as well, like all, I mean, yeah, it's, maybe it's combat related or whatever, but, the, but, um, all of those things seem to have, um, generated uh, a, f- a sort of philosophy that um, that I mean every single day I you know when I if I tune into social media of some kind Ian has something and we've talked about a side project with that that I've kind of dropped the ball on because you know we've had some other fires that got set and we're either we can't decide which try and put them out and then we throw more logs on and then maybe try and put it out and then 
gas or whatever. But anyway, this have you been writing? Yeah, so I I guess as people have said in the past, were some of our experiences. And uh, when I was growing up, I was not the person I am now. I was a very meek child. I was picked on a lot because I never did traditional sports. I grew up mountain bike riding and in a, you know. Wait, you were a meek <laughs> Oh Yeah, I was I, small. I was timid. I was. You're com- going to love our next t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I was the complete opposite of what I am now. And, uh, you know, in, in the early 90s, you know, as a young kid, if you don't do typical sports, you know, you get razzed on, especially mountain bike riding in Lycra as a kid, you know, not the yeah. most fondest thing. So, um, and I never did team-based sports and, um, you know, I got... because your father set an example of yes. being on a bike a lot. Yes. Yeah. So. He, yeah. My, my, my dad uh, still does to this day but I, I grew up uh, for as soon as I could walk I was on a bicycle and every year we went up to Vermont and did the Norba National Bike Race and he did amateur semi-professional mountain bike ride, uh, mountain bike riding and still in his late 60s now still still rides so um, nice. but because of that when I got to high school um, and it get, came to that tipping point I had done the junior ROTC in high school and all that and drew my desire to want to join the military and I figured if I'm joining the military again from a 17 year old kid perspective like I'm going to do the most quote unquote difficult branch and therefore I chose the Marine Corps and that is where in my opinion the, the transformation to my current self went as to in, in, in the context of grit, will, determination whatever terminology you want to use uh, because to me, even when I was 17 years old, I did the last thing I wanted was to not make it through boot camp. Then I have to come back to my hometown and face that and deal. Oh yeah, deal with that. So I I gave, I gave myself no option but to move forward. And I guess that kind of transferred over to now, where that's still the only option for me is forward. And when I was in school, I enjoyed writing a lot. Uh, I I read a lot as a kid. Still do. I actually have a. Uh, habitual thing of reading 10 pages a day. That's like first thing I do in the morning, 10 pages, no okay. questions asked. Uh, but now I wrote a lot when I was in the military too. I still have yet to publish that stuff, but it's a lot of thoughts from when I was deployed and overseas and all type of stuff. Um, and then when I got out, um, seeing the military was going to pay for my college education, I figured why, why not do it in something I'm passionate about because you know, I would. I really had no desire to do a profession in it, but I enjoyed writing. Therefore, I got my uh, bachelor's in communication with a concentration in journalism. I never wanted to be a journalist. I never wanted to write for the newspaper. That was never my thing, but I enjoyed writing. And that's where it kind of took off from there, and I got to um, see the passion in my writing and uh, kind of curate it to what it is now. And um, I guess I never, like I started to downgrade the, my level of writing a few years into starting this company full-time and doing social media because I didn't really see a lot of positive uh, feedback from writing. I didn't know if it was a waste of time and, you know, people are just more in, enamored with images on, on Instagram than they are reading the, the script. And then um, for years I had seen Woomer, Chris Woomer from Veal yeah. Solutions, uh, take a lot of your quotes and post it through his stuff or take pictures of your book and post it. And that's where I started to garner interest in your style of writing. And that's what kind of, I guess, rebirthed my passion for putting writing into my posts. Uh, because the reality is that, you know, anybody can 
post a picture of somebody, sh uh, you know, in, especially my industry, just shooting a picture of a piece of gear or a rifle or a video of shooting or whatever it is, but putting effort into, as we talked about the language in the caption, I feel is more and, and communicating important. an idea. Yes, I think, is because a, a picture of the piece of gear or a picture of the student learning or whatever. Uh, um, I mean, those are uh, on their own. It, it, it doesn't communicate anything useful necessarily, and it's all, it appears to be almost always done for you know for, for commerce. Yes. Um, but when you start writing about it, okay, okay, there's maybe there's an evocative picture, something something that hey, okay, you got to get the the person to stop mm -hmm. um, in the scroll or whatever. But then also, like a lot of times, you know, what I've seen when I've photographed you and your teaching is that that like the and whether I've whether I've um, captured it in a photograph or not, it's it's the the posture, the attentiveness, the absolutely involvedness um, on the part of the students. It's I, it's pretty fucking remarkable, and and I think it is because of your use of language, but it's also because I know that there's something be there's something more behind communicating the technical aspect of whatever the task is that is either being taught or being demanded of a student. So the, if, if it were not for the effort that you put into your writing, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, what you write like this with me would never have happened because it, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. You know, Mark has Mark, uh, drew my attention to you, but then it was reading, and, and I said this in the email to you, like your coaching or teaching method resonated with me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, this guy's putting some thought behind it. And okay, I'm down with this. Like this is, this is someone in that I am, uh, would like to, to, to talk to and also learn this new thing that I got into recently, which is, which is shooting. So, and, and it's, for me also, it's important. There's a lot of information out there. Yeah. As we know, there's a lot of bad information. <laughs> yes. There, right. Yes, there is. And, and, you know, fortunately I've had a guide with Mark that's helped me down this pathway, but yeah, again, it was, it was, just just your language and how you use it and and the fact that you recognize that language matters mm -hmm. like so yeah and when i when i have emails like yours it it restokes the 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 fire so to speak cuz like again it shouldn't your your writing um, or just writing in general shouldn't initially be for an instant ROI. It should be because the the passion of, of writing. But after a while, even with me, still I'm like, okay, is it even worth putting the effort anymore? And then I get emails like yours or, or, or others from other students, and they or like a student I had in Albuquerque a, a couple weekends ago when I was out there. He said, you know, some of your writings have helped me, you know, push through some difficult times. And he just got laid off from his job and has a wife and two kids and actually started up his own construction company. And he has more work than he can deal with. Nice. Um, so when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe it actually is working because, and I think either Keegan or, or, or Michael said it on a, or somebody you had on prior podcast talked about imposter syndrome, 
and that's a serious thing that 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 I that I deal with on a, on a daily basis because because I feel like a lot of the stuff that I do or teach like you know I'll, I'll leave a class and be like all right well I messed that up I didn't explain that like I'm always super hypercritical on myself and I have to have guys like you or sometimes even my wife that's like will you shut the fuck up Ernie like you're you're doing great our finances are great you know be happy with with the class that you put on and I, I'm always trying like I always I, but you're, but it's, like it seems to me that you're critical because you want to improve yes like and and that's the it, it's not you know the self-loathing kind of no. like oh I fucked that up man. yeah I am no it's just like okay well how do I not do that in the future how do how can I maximize I mean watching today because like Okay, standard course day we'll say is eight hours ish, something like that. Yeah. Um, but if but if your energy and attention is distributed across ten people, um, then each of those people is. I mean, I mean, the, the, the instruction is not necessarily tuned to them in a certain way. Like you're not able to respond. I mean, yeah, you 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 take the temperature of the room, you sense the class, you realize like, okay, I need to just particular group I need to kind of focus on this and that guy's going to get dropped but um you know I can't really <laughs> <laughs> right and um but today watching and just realizing like holy fucking fire hose a one-on-one -on -one for four hours or whatever actually it's not really just four hours because it's the ride from the airport last night it's you know hanging out drinking a beer before we all kind of were able to wind down and go to sleep it's you know, coffee in the morning, like all of those things. I mean, you definitely are. It wasn't a fire hose. It was the hydrant. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just, as, yeah. as the recipient. It, yes. Um, all I, I, saw, I saw the hose, but I guess I, I didn't, wasn't really feeling the force. That's what she that said. You were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it, which, it, and it's pretty remarkable to me to see how much with the right language, with obviously a curriculum in place, which you have spent a lot of time developing, yeah. um, to see how much information can be transmitted and transferred to somebody in that situation. I mean, I would, I don't know how Joe is still not asleep um, <laughs> right now, like, because that was an overload, especially. Lots of espresso, Mark. Lots of, a lot of espresso. Some damn good espresso. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, in my opinion, you know, that's what makes the the definitive split or difference between, and I know it's just semantics and language, uh, but you're an instructor and a teacher or more or less a coach. Um, and I know you guys talk about it a lot, um, but I, I, I especially see that here in this industry, in this space where um, people are more worried about um, the fame and the follows and the income and everything about that uh, and not so much worried about the, the quality of the content they put out. Yeah, they want quantity over quality. Exactly. You and know, it's the people that have 40 clients that they quote unquote coach like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I with how I teach, I have, you know, not to boast myself here, but I have the ability to be able to, as Mark said, take a temperature of the room and figure out what drills we can't do, what drills we can't do, what drills we need to modify because of the range setup or because of the weather, but being able to do that on the fly in real time. And I don't see that, in my opinion, happen a lot within this space because I just don't see people that have 
that ability and that's what I try to strive myself on is being able to adapt the knowledge that I have in a way regardless of the skill level of the student be, being able for them to intake that information and disseminate it on their own in real time obviously in the class but for them to feel that the class or the drill or whatever it is um, like I said regardless of their skill they're leaving that better than they were the moment before they started the drill or before they started the day of that class. I, I realize that um, this year class sizes have been a bit smaller. Yep, because ammo is like gold at this point, unfortunately. But just people maybe not willing, as willing to travel or yes. range restrictions earlier in the year where mm -hmm. they're just like, hey, you can teach this class, just not here because we're not open. Cause yeah, we're like I had to move the class you were in uh, in Colorado, that was supposed to be at the end of March. Had to move that to June. Then I had one in Albuquerque a couple weekends ago that was supposed to be at the end of April and had to change that because of COVID. So, like, yeah. I learned two years ago not not to schedule a certain way. Like, I don't know, schedule four travel classes in a row, expecting a couple of them to fall out. And then you realize all four of them filling up at the same time and you're, you know, home for maybe. 14 days out of the month yeah and I learned that two years ago so when I made the schedule for 2020 I did it purposely in a way where I gave a dead space in between then COVID decided to light everything on fire it gave you a lot more dead space yeah so then I had to move all my classes to the dead space time and I think for that month of June that I and when I initially met you I was only home for 14 days again yeah. because all the dead space time I was supposed to have home it all got pushed around so yeah. again being able to adapt and improvise on the fly it's interesting. I mean, I've done a number of, you know, fuck, a lot of fucking shooting courses in my life. And and, um, and something I've seen, there's a, a company that um, I'm acquainted with, let's say. And uh, I mean, I appreciate it. You know, there, what do we have in Colorado? It was six people, something like that. Yep. Seven. Five, well, maybe it was six and then. Five six or, and then seven, yeah. On, on, the, on the second day, and then I can't, Idaho was still, it was in around the 10, yeah. 11 mark. Uh, Idaho was a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but I see this other company and doing these classes where there's like 20, 25 students. And I, I just, I, I, all right, well, nobody's getting much. <laughs> you know, yeah, you get to hang out with the guy who used to be the thing or, you know, whatever. You got the cool certificate, though. But you got the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Um, I, but, but did you, and, and if you went to get the certificate, that's great because mm -hmm. you got what you paid for. Yeah. I mean, you could have just not gone then. Um, it, you know, just gave him the money and said, Hey, send me the fucking paper. And I'll maybe, yeah. But, um, but it, the, the quality of instruction has been, um, a, an important thing, you know, in, everything that I've done and Joe just sort of talked about you know I got 40 clients that I coach I'm like okay that's a spreadsheet coaching or whatever um, not that you have 40 Joe but the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the you know seeing what you count um, what you demand of yourself in terms of quality of output obviously it reduces it's going to reduce the number of people that you can handle and it's the same seems like the same with you Ian that, that um, there's like yeah I, 
financially, I, you know, there has to be this many people in order for it to make sense, but there can't be this many because then it doesn't make sense from an educational or an experience standpoint. Or so even a safety standpoint. Or, yeah. 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 I mean, obviously, you know, you come, uh, I mean, Colorado, Cal was there to help out. Yeah. Idaho, Nate, and then Marcus showed up kind of random. He also contributed yes. in a way. Ivan helped out quite a bit as yes. well, but, um, but like you really kind of stacking the instructor side in order to make sure that people can, you know, get the maximum amount of information, in the time available. Um, and I know that we have talked about pricing and that, you know, you don't want to like price yourself into the category that only assholes with money show up. Yeah. Um, but you and I think based on the quality of the work that you are doing, that you're not charging enough, but you know, the market better than I do <laughs> yes. um, in terms of what people are willing to pay. And obviously, you know, most of their money now is going towards ammunition. Cause yes. yeah, the, uh, you know, for me, I won't go over a certain number, as you just said, because from a quality um, and a more or less a safety standpoint and, for a lot of stuff, like I'll still go even if I'm at a in break even or even maybe a little negative just to show face. And I know a lot of people, a lot of other uh, people who teach wouldn't do that. And for me, um, you know, for the people that that are paying to go there, I, I feel like it would it wouldn't do anything for them. It wouldn't do anything for me if I didn't show up. That they're willing to take the time away from their family, ammo, um, the logistics if they need to drive or gas or food or lodging or all of the above, um, all those things aimed together, then yeah, for me, I'd be willing to take a little bit of a hit just to show that I'm here. I'm here to, for you to leave that much, a much better individual than when you showed up this weekend. And hopefully next year we'll have a better turnout, especially if it's if it's a new spot or a location that that I've uh, that I go to. Um, I'm willing to take that initial hit for uh, positive ROI moving forward. It, yeah, sometime in the future when people talk about the exactly the, the, better, the experience that they had. Yeah, what do you see happening? I mean, ju let's just say state of the industry as far yeah. as like okay this year. I, what is it, four or five million new firearm owners yeah, in the United 300% States? Yeah, 300% uptick in gun owners across America. And which, uh, I mean, so if they're, if they're new, they require instruction. So it yes. seems like there should be, um, if people understood that they needed to learn, yes. um, that they weren't magically going to, you know, by way of, I bought the tool, therefore I Osmosis, am duh. the guy can, who can use the tool. Um <laughs> So do you see in like an increase in the next, I mean, I'll say one to two years in people demanding education or are you I, more cynical? Are you as cynical about human nature as I am? Uh, I guess I can <laughs> go both ways more or less. Like I'm hopeful obviously for, for what I do for a lot of the other people that do what I do. Um, I'm hopeful that this coming year, depending on what happens with everything. Yeah. Uh, that, people that now have bought guns either in the summer and turn during the fall or winter time frame that have now been sitting on it for almost a year now when better weather better weather
comes next year, we can be okay, well now I gotta figure out how to use it. But yes, as you said at the same time, humans are humans. And uh, if they can't make, if they can't compromise things that they believe is a priority for things like ammo or paying for a class, if they're not willing to make that compromise, then there's Welcome. kind of. I mean, that's my, <laughs> I mean, in a way, it's like we're talking about ammunition costs yep. today. And, and I don't know how many rounds we went through today. It was, I mean, it was more rounds than I've ever gone through. Yeah. But it never, ever entered my head of, okay, that's 50 cents every time I pull the trigger. Like, it wasn't, it didn't even enter my mind because it's like, this is the investment. This is the investment that I'm doing, you know, and and this is part of the, um, this is part of my entry fee to actually be competent doing something that could result in like some serious consequences if I didn't learn how to do the thing correctly. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah. Being around in the space for a while. Yeah. What do you think the motivation was generally for all of these new firearm owners? Because it wasn't like it kicked off before the protests or the fact that people at some point you could just people just be like, well, I got to take care of my own security Mm -hmm. because pretty soon they'll you know it, first they're going to defund the cops and they're going to defang the police and then they're you know like this and then pretty soon a social worker is going to show up to the you yeah know, to the hold up and everybody just talk it out um no no let's hug <laughs> or have a drum circle yeah i think that's what we should do yeah yes um but so 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 it seemed to me that as the you know the pandemic really kicked off is when this sent this is is when firearms like that's when I start, started started seeing the spike in um, a ammunition prices like early on it happened almost immediately, mm-hmm. but then the second thing was like, oh I want to like for myself I was looking to get into a new caliber let's say mm-hmm. or realizing that oh suddenly the whole SBR question is moot because of this other thing and now I can go down that road yeah. but um but but and started realizing like hey not everything it you can't just like get what you want no because the demand is too high so just like it, it, motivation wise what did you sort of think why people are buying a lot of guns yeah I, I i think it's honestly how quickly people's perspective change as to how quickly things changed when the initial <laughs> <laughs> pandemic happened with Wow, toilet paper went out the window. Wow, I can't, uh, you know. F- but was it like a out. FOMO thing? Like, oh, if I don't get mine now, I won't be able to get one in the future. Or was it, man, if they're fighting over toilet paper in the Walmart, then obviously, yeah. Like, you know, I, I think it was a mix of the two, where where I'm going to buy it now because I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. But also, like, I think I may have to take responsibility for my safety or the safety of my loved ones. Yeah. Um, and. I, I, I think people here in this country for so long, we, you know, more or less regardless of the social unrest and the disparity with law enforcement and all the other negative shit that's out there, we have it pretty good here in this country. You know, I've, I've been to some 
pretty pretty awful places so, in some, the world. Some, some less fortunate places. Yes, yeah, some, yes. some less fortunate places where you do have to watch where you step and you know, literally where you walk, you have to watch where you're walking because yeah. uh, you might end up in a lot of pieces afterwards. Uh, and you don't have to necessarily worry about that here. Yes, you have your red herring incidents like, you know, the, the, um, the Boston City bomber years ago and other little tiny things, but for the most part, we have it pretty safe here. And I think people lost the perspective as to how quickly things can go south, like yeah. even in the matter of a week. Like who, I think it was who said it, um, the difference between... Uh, Calm and chaos is like, uh, you know, uh, nine days or something like that. I was going to say um, the traffic signal's not working. Yeah. Because that's pretty much all it would take is yes. like, you know, full scale. Every, everything else, just fine. Just take away the, like, the, the red lights, yellow lights, green lights, and p people lose their fucking minds. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I mean, you, the, in, in my opinion, a, pure definitive example of how quickly things can go bad in regards to s social unrest in American cultures during Hurricane Katrina. Oh, right. In Louisiana, how quickly things turned into chaos just from a simple lack of food and a lack of water. When people aren't able to immediately get what they are used to getting, yeah. people start to get really pissy. Uh, and usually pissy turns to violence or into being willing to be herded into a fucking stadium. Yep. <laughs> Which is another, I mean, but then you're <laughs> just giving up autonomy and, and, and yes. going and buying a firearm or whatever seems to be a, a, a demonstration of the willingness to, to try and maintain whatever personal autonomy that you imagine you have in that moment. Um, so, uh, I wanted to ask Joe, uh, about his, transition into you know welcome to this world but we're gonna have to come back to that because i need to p pursue this thread um so we so we talk about like oh i may have to look after my personal safety mm -hmm. oh, i may have to look after the safety of my loved ones i may have to maintain order in the neighborhood i'm going to become the overlord of the neighbor you know whatever i how, like how um and, and this has been on my radar for i mean it's like i've i i mean i've had a carry permit 25 years carried religiously for I don't know 15 of those years now 10 then let it slide then came back into it um, this year coincidentally yeah. um, in, in the in a more serious sense of going out and being you know okay I need to get back into training I need to be doing this on a more regular basis um, but then I question myself, like, what do I think is going to happen? Like, what does this look like? Am I fucking LARPing? Am I a pretender? Is this, you know, uh, you know, but, but when does it become Lord of the Flies? You know, when does, like, like, how does it play out, you know, this, this unrest in your mind? Because I see it on an individual level of where, like, oh, I happen to be in a public place and somebody decides that, they need something a little more than the other guy does mm -hmm. or whatever that happens to be. And then, or maybe they see a camera that I have around my neck and they decide that they want that. And yeah, maybe I'm going to let the camera go, but maybe I'm going to go for, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just depends on who I'm with or the, you know, all of these things. So I have like individual situations, but then 
what I think you know most people are imagining is lar- like what do you is the protest spilling over to the neighborhood or you know full on class or racial confrontation and I just don't know if like if that's like made up in our heads or you know uh, uh, you know I, I'm not going to ask you to like back yourself into a yeah, corner yeah, with yeah. the idea but like what do you what I, I, I'm kind of curious about what other people are thinking about you know when it goes bad how's it what's it look like and I and I think you said it just previously it, it they're one of their first steps to autonomy is theoretically by purchasing that firearm because it is, as cliche as it sounds, an equalizer, depending on the end user. The issue, though, is, and this is a huge uh, issue within the gun communities, people think that just solely by purchasing it, um, it automatically they osmosis the information to be able to apply it on the gun and as all of us know here that's not the case you you, that's your first step into the entrance in this quote-unquote world but it's on you to then go out and get what additional training that you see fit like Dunning-Kruger is high in this industry or and gun owners as a whole like I I think I saw a a statistic that was done a few years ago of only about maybe 2% of total gun owners in America are actually going and getting training. Training. Like overall as a whole, you know, depending on lenient states like the one I live in, Mm -hmm. New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, we're all constitutional carry. So you can theoretically go out to the gun store, do the background check and sling it on your body concealed with no additional training. Now... Do I think that's right? No, absolutely not. However, I also don't think that state-mandated training works because of all the states I've visited and talked to people that live in those states where they do, the state requires them to take this mandated training, which is, in my opinion, just feed that goes back to the state that so they can put in their pocket. Um, it has, has no value from a concealed carrying context. The drills or the, or the yeah. quote-unquote testing or the qualifying they need to do has zero correlation to actual concealed carry. It's just a check in the box for the state. So now if you get hemmed up for actually smoking somebody, they can be like, well, he, he took the training here, so, and then probably say oh, it's not good enough or whatever, even yeah. though the state required it. Uh, so I don't believe, like I, as, as you and I, or all of us talked about last night, that um, it, it is your constitutional right to own a firearm, but it's also your responsibility as said gun owner to go out there and get the additional training. And the question then becomes, do you want to be an asset to those around you or a liability? And most people don't take that into reality. Or, or never even looked at that as a possibility. No. It's, and and one, one of the things that has come up, you know, numerous times is like people, you know, you have to have a, a drive, a life license to drive your car, drive a car. Yeah. Um, so you should have to have a license to, to, but you don't have to have a license to own a car. Yep. You do not have to have a license to dr- to pilot that vehicle on your private property. Yeah. It is where the licensing comes into play is when you want to operate that motor vehicle on public roads yes. out in society. Yes. And I think that is that is the more poignant sort of delineation especially yes. with firearms ownership is hey, it's my constitutional right to have this and to carry it on my private property, use it on my private property as I see fit. Yeah. When I go into public, Obviously, there's a permission, permitted thing. Like if I want to carry it in public, um, 
in certainly in the state that I live in, Utah, here in Washington, same thing. Yeah. It's like I need to go through a permitting process. Yeah. Utah, yeah, I had a mandatory six-hour class. When I got a carry permit in Colorado, I had to have a certain class. Yeah. Um, you know, but all of them, in my opinion, based on the other education, the, the further education that I have had, um, the scenario-based things that I've been sort of, you know, submitted myself to in the past, I just realized, like, okay, a six-hour class is fuck all. Yeah. And doesn't prepare you. In fact, it it ill prepares you because you think you know something. And you think that's just, all right, cool, it's, it's enough. Now I yeah. can just go I about my day. I hit the bullseye, yeah. you know, when they told me, you know, in the perfectly lit indoor training range circumstances, et cetera, and never having to experience it. Okay, like, yeah, you got your driving license because you did the fucking bare minimum and the test was easy to pass. You And like, are you okay driving in the snow? Are you okay driving in all conditions that you may confront when operating that motor vehicle no you're not yeah. the license just basically guarantees a bare minimum but then also confers this idea of um of competence because they gave you a permit they gave you a license you think you're good that you you know and then a lot of people apparently driving around think they're more competent than they are because they believe they can fucking text and drive at the same time when they can barely fucking drive without that distraction um and and so, so taking that back to the, to the firearm thing i mean i i it would be you know in order for more for people to be more asset than liability then that education should happen. I agree that state mandated or government mandated anything usually falls short mm -hmm. because lowest common denominator plus processing plus fee collection is kind of, you know, depending on what the, the motive is, it's like if it's cover your ass, then educate the fuck out of them. Yeah. If it's collect the fee and say that we did our due diligence, small d's, um, then, uh, then it, then it doesn't work. And then if we have to rely, obviously, on people voluntarily seeking higher education, I mean, it's... If I may. Yeah. Um, you talked about kind of scenario-based, which is... Um, people people were asking me, you know, well, what's the singer doing this weekend? Like, And my answer was... I, I don't really know. I, like, I kind of think I know, but like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm putting myself in his hands to do this. So, you know, I bought a handgun this year. I now the next step, okay, where can I shoot this handgun? Uh, kind of dig around a little bit and I, I got to see if it works because I got to, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, How okay. Loud is it? <laughs> I, I, I have, I belong to the, now I'm a member of the Bainbridge Island sportsman's club, you know, exactly. Uh, and, uh, okay, well, that's cool. So now I can go and in very, um, set parameters, this is how I'm able to shoot the gun, which, okay that's part of it like shooting the gun and seeing what happens and the bang and the whole thing but in real life i'm not going to be in my lane with my gun pointed downrange with the i'm probably going to this fuck up the verbiage here but okay. with the slide open and the magazine out so the rso can uh you know check it and like that's not real life. Good verbiage. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress. But uh, aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> like the stuff that we were doing today, 
it's like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm moving. What, you know, where's my muzzle pointed? They're like, what? <laughs> like all this stuff. Yeah. And even like, I made a mistake that, that, uh, Reed noted. Not a big mistake, but still, cause I was like, okay, I don't want to do that one thing. And then I was kind of fixated on that. And so, yeah, so to come down on the bench, magazine out, but the slide was not locked back, so he couldn't visual, you know, verify visually that it was yeah. safe for someone to go ahead of the firing line. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's all he, that's, you know, what yeah. he was looking for. But he also, you know, he wanted to be able to visually verify from the desk he was sitting at. Yeah. Um, so he had to come over and have a conversation, which yeah. is great. Which is, but yeah. It, it's, it's totally legit. And... You know, okay, th- those are, we walk into certain spaces, there are rules we must abide. Mm-hmm. And, and that, not just with fire, but everywhere, those are the rules. So we got to learn the rules, Yeah, you know, of, of that thing. But then also, you, that's where you realize that, okay, flat range, um, you know, stand, shoot bullseyes, be cool. Never right. more than, you know. <laughs> yeah, he, he would have a heart attack if he came to one of my classes. Oh. People up and down range, people moving yeah. around, controlling people. Yeah, he, you uh, so somewhere in an NRA instructor with an orange vest would have Forrest Whitaker eye for sure. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I want you to have that verbal <laughs> image. <laughs> There's a disturbance in the force. Oh yeah, but then also it's just like all right, you know, show up at a class where hey, we run a hot range, and um, that means yeah, it can you can. In one in the chamber as long, you know, when it's holstered, et cetera. And we're going we're gonna to be as safe as possible, but it's also we're, we need to make sure that people understand the consequences, the risk of these things, how deadly they are. And that, you know, you as an individual and a student, whatever, need to learn to respect this, to respect your fellow, to be know at all times. I mean, because the bite know. is severe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know any other sort of like that many other people who walk around carrying a fucking tourniquet in their pocket, you know, like j- just on on the daily. But man, every time I see Ivan, he shows up. You know, he pulled in, and they've just been driving on the bus. You know, they pulled in the parking lot. He gets out, and, just, and he's and he's got a you know tourniquet in his pocket. Same with Bill. Same, you know, with you. Like, yeah, yeah. there, it's it's right there. Uh, yeah. There's one right here in this bag. Plus, there's this trauma. You know, like like that shit's always around because of the consequences of fucking up with these tools that we have chosen to, you know, have with us, and I, that needs to be passed on. That's the stuff that needs to be, you know, and you and you see like the 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 fail videos of you know people with their you know stupid firearm accidents or whatever. And they always have that look on their face, like, what the fuck just happened? Like, mm-hmm. how did, and, you know, it's... Complacency. Well, and even, even I wonder... As, or ignorance. As we're having or both. You know, yeah. As this discussion is going on, like, okay, um, you have your, I'll say, sterile environment mm-hmm. of... of you know, a typical firing range of what my understanding is. And it sounds like they're all the same, Mm -hmm. right? You can't draw from a holster. You can't do this. You can't do that. Um, It's a very sportsman club mentality. Well, and, and, and it's like, okay, so now do some of the people, well, I'm a member of the sportsman's club. I know how to handle a a firearm. I mean, do you think that's the same thing is they buy the firearm. They think they know how to use it. They join the, 
you know, sportsman's club, that gives, the, you know, that's the next level of fucking ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and it's like we said, the sportsman's club mentality, you know, mm-hmm. in a way, or a sportsman's mentality regarding firearm shooting. Okay. With, I see that, okay, some of these um, shooting disciplines are, you know, yes, it came from hunting and developed into sport in the, in, in the sense of skeet or clays. Um, uh, Bow and arrow, you know, uh, ar- 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 archery, that type of thing. And uh, yeah. the same thing with like, a, you, know, uh, you know, another sportsman club type thing is like cowboy action shooting or they have their action pistol stuff. And yeah, that's theoretically, you know, a, a sportsman type discipline. But very rare do are they talking on the context of a... Uh, self-defense men club, you know, like yeah. the, nobody originally designed a semi-auto pistol to be like, it's going to put a lot of holes in paper really fast. Yeah. They did it because they needed a more efficient way to end the threat. Realistically. Yeah. I mean, same thing with any firearm. They realized that a rock, I have to be a contact distance club. I have to be even a little bit farther away. Then you got I into put my rock in a sling. Yep. Then they then, I could, then then you got bow and arrow and crossbow action. But then they wanted a more efficient, accurate way to be at distance and yeah. deal with the threat. And that's where I think a lot of it has sometimes been forgotten. Like I I unfortunately um, know a lot of people that do do a lot of competitive shooting, but they also don't carry, which yeah. is the irony of it because they have been so they are for so long in this sports mentality type discipline within firearms that they've either chosen and again it's their choice i don't ever tell anybody that they have to carry a gun that'd be very ignorant on my end you know it's your it should be your choice or always be your choice yes uh but i I feel where i feel like a lot of those people have kind of inadvertently forgotten what the tool was originally designed for or what why it was you know that particular tool or the tools were uh protected by the constitution in this country. Yes. It's like, and you know, cause somebody goes, you don't need a so-and-so for hunting. I'm like, well, it's not about hunting. It's about killing fucking tyrants. Yep. Um, and you know, making sure that the citizens stay free. Yes. And I don't own, yeah, I shot competitively for a long time, but that's because I wanted to become more proficient, but I always, because that period in my life was coincident with a lot of training of military that I was doing. Like I never had a, dis- a sportsman's disassociation. Yeah, I could. Yeah. Yes, I had my comp. You know, it, it mean, you know, I had a special, you know, pistol for competition. Yeah. Um, but that eventually went away. I was like, no, the reason that I'm doing this is for this uh, for another reason. It's for mm-hmm. a personal autonomy reason. It's for a freedom, of, you know, an expression of freedom and liberty um, type of thing. And so then I started all these competitions. I started shooting a carry gun, um, and be- because that's. You know, hey, I want to, I want to be competent and responsible with the thing that I have with me all the time, and that is a, uh, a, you know, there's, I think there's a disconnect there with the, you know, the, man, you like get somebody who shoots skeet or clays in a conversation with someone, you know, who shot IDPA or you know, USPSA or you know, the more, like the more combat shooting or three gun or whatever. And it's, they look like aliens to each other mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. And, um, and so I think, you know, language wise, especially with politicians, we go down that road of like, Oh no, this is about hunting and you shouldn't have this because like, Hey, technology advanced dude. 
that that um, you know whatever was you know protected at the time was the most advanced form of a yeah. firearm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, military. You know, they, there was no differentiation. A firearm was a fucking firearm. Like, yeah, you could you could get your Thanksgiving turkey with it, or you know, you could <clears throat> water the Liberty Tree, <laughs> if you if you will. But the um, and and so yes, technology advanced. The 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 constitutional right didn't change with technology. It didn't change as the fact that you have a computer in your pocket right now, and that the internet exists. You know, any sort of regulation about stuff that was written in the past. Um, how we speak now, let's just say. Uh, is different than you know there's there's social media and there's the town crier same fucking thing mm-hmm. it's a constitutionally protected right to cry out yes which apparently is what social media is all about Obviously. or you know masturbate in public but that's that's <laughs> you know that's a different thing but it, but it's still yeah you're using a you're you know you're probably using a privately owned platform and they can censor you know that you know your, your right to free speech does not exist on that you know in a private space but in a public space something where the government is involved etc um so those those rights didn't change with, with the way that you know technology changed yeah the town crier couldn't really be heard outside of the town square now your cry, your opinion, your whatever can be heard all over the fucking world instantaneously. But, you know, even in countries where, you know, a right to free speech is not protected. And so I, I and I don't see firearms any fucking differently, but, um, but a lot of people do. Yeah, I, I think it's because for a lot of people that are attempting to, that are, in, we'll put power in quotes. Okay, because, like, quotes, talk, for but, those of you not watching on YouTube. Uh, yeah, you can uh, check the show notes after. Yes. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, everything is temporary, power temporary. Yes. But, and uh, I think all these people are now recognizing that uh, personal responsibility um, is a terrifying thing, and more people are understanding that, and now more people are owning inability for personal ownership um, through potential and maybe even violent means if necessary. And that scares a lot of people that are um, under protection from others because they already have that protection. Now seeing others that could meet them at that medium at is that terrifying. Level. Yeah, because it, it equalizes. Yeah. Their personal bodyguards, yes, or whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I'm. Let's see. So, Joe. Yes, Mark. Uh, we've had discussions about firearms in the past. Joe Holmes, I always, I, I took never, I never took Joe Holmes to be anti-gun. However, my description of you was he's firearms neutral. Yeah, he, he's like the DZ. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, then this year that changed. Uh, right, you became you. You know, you're not you're not you're not rabid. But something shifted. 
And I mean, we've, we've talked about it, but I'd like you to kind of explain that to me again about. Um, well, so uh, I believe the first conversation that we had was when I was living in upstairs in the nonprofit event center for five weeks, yeah. building the van out. Yeah. And. Uh, oh, in, if, that, in our great neighborhood? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was. You know, I've I've done the road trip thing, the a seven lot. weeks on the road in the back of a Toyota Tercel SR5 station wagon back in the mid '90s. And did you guys sleep head to toe? Or <laughs> yeah, no, we, you know, just head to head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see that's uh, <laughs> or you got toe, me there, didn't you? As it was coming out of my mouth, I'm like, no, but, <laughs> but so, so let's say, so that's like early nineties, right? You're yes. driving around the country on a climbing trip, yep. ski trip, you know, whatever. Um, and being, you know, dirty hippies, right. You probably had some Dr. Bronner's soap. With oh, you. for sure. For Absolutely. sure. Peppermint yeah. or yeah, almond. Yeah. Uh, peppermint. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely a peppermint guy. <laughs> it's fucking OG right there. <laughs> or are you just like blue, not green. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it, but but also just like you know, the world is there, it's not a dangerous place. Correct is sort of the consciousness. Yeah, because of whatever and the locations you're visiting. Yep. For, for the most part, it's like mountain locations. It's, you know, people who, you know, respect others and respect nature and are, you know, generally cool. Right. Uh, Fast and, forward. Well, and I, you know, maybe, maybe the uh, wackos have always been around. Right. Yeah. And maybe they are, were around as much then as the perception is that maybe they are now or maybe it's just that there's more access to the 24-hour news cycle and social media and and you see all these um or uh, have you become more aware like let's just say that you had nothing worth taking <laughs> true <laughs> <laughs> and although like, the few items i had I probably protected more. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because it was all I had. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, just, I'm, yeah. I'm curious if it's like an older, like if it's something that came with age and accomplishment and acquisition in some ways of like, now I, I kind of dig being here. And so you, well, so, you know, do the, do van project and, yeah. and I'm thinking it through and, it's like, well, okay. I don't know if I'm too down wait, anymore. Wait, stand by, stand by. You over, you were overthinking it through. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think thanks to the or intervention that you and Brittany held for me. Oh, yes, <laughs> brought me tis, back. Tis true. Um, but I wasn't. I was appre not apprehensive. I just, just a thought of uh, being on my own in the middle of nowhere in a van like you don't know what's going to happen nor can you observe your surroundings right right so like there's no perimeter there's no distance they are in your space immediately should they choose to be so yep Mm -hmm. and so that was 
that was kind of the first like, okay, I'm gonna think about this a little bit more. Um, but then it wasn't until uh, this spring that I was able to make the time to, all right, I'm gonna seriously think about this now because of what I do, I travel all the time. The interesting thing about that is like, we talk about, okay, I need to, I, I would, there's a very small personal space in this motor vehicle that I would like to have some influence on or like, you know, be in control of, eh, that's a bit much, but like, I'd, I'd like to be able to steer the out, you know, like to, 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 to have an influence on this particular small environment. But once you go down that road, then you park the van in front of your house mm -hmm. and that way of thinking carries over into the home. And then once it carries over into the home, it carries over into how you think about how you are out in public. And so I think this was like a, a pretty natural process of, look, I have this thing where I feel most exposed, but then holy shit, I'm actually more exposed than I ever thought I was because I never thought about it before in this other situation. Does also, that, does that feel like the progression to you or am I projecting? Well, let's, let's not lose fact. Let's not lose sight of the fact that I live on Bainbridge Island. Well, you have a, <laughs> you have a moat. <laughs> yes. And just blow and the as, bridge. As, and, and as Ian said, blow that bridge, man. And yes. We got it. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. I just, the was at home decided to all right gonna make the time to do this here we go and uh um went right down that road pretty hard <laughs> and fortunately i had you know with you good uh advice you know hey should i get this one or this one neither you should get this one kind of a thing and and sent me some uh now the musket is constitutionally <laughs> protected and and uh while i highly recommend that Attach, or a lever action a rifle because what's more, yeah exactly <laughs> it's what what i still remember about the your response was uh you know get this everyone you know has nine millimeter uh you need a mag i toss you a mag simple was the exact um, yeah, and I, and I read it. I'm like consistency. Oh yeah, it makes total sense. Like I didn't even. Oh, that's yeah. completely. I mean, I can't, of, of course. I you know now I know like the you know when Ian is teaching, it's a 17, but on the daily it's a 19. So I know that I can toss him a mag. But if I toss him a 19 mag for the other one, in 19 and 17 they don't play. Yeah, it's a little too short. Won't yeah feed in. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then and then now I have the you know the Hellcat, which yeah. probably really throws things out of whack. But I mean, you know, no, I don't know anybody else who has one, so yeah. you know, you're <laughs> he, on your own. He, he had to be a unicorn in something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> potato was that? Yeah, potatoes are. <laughs> yeah, snowflakes are the same. Potatoes are unique, or something. I, that was. Um, yeah. So uh, that was. That was kind of the 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 journey of uh, how my thinking went, and and then once and, and then I once, once I got the thing, I wanted to learn how to use the thing. You couldn't help but uh, like you get into Joe. 
you get into something, you get into something. <laughs> it's true. And I dig it. I mean, I was just like, yeah, as soon as he starts down this road, once there's, an, you know, if there's, if any bit of momentum is created, he'll be, I mean, I was just, I, you know, today, I was kind of proud, Joe. Ah. I'm just like, oh yeah, every hole is touching. Like, proud. And you've obviously put the time in. And, and, and the awareness and thought. And that's like, yeah, speed will come. The other administrative manipulations, all that shit is going to come. But the, but the thing that is you know, ultimately the most important, the thing that you are responsible for, which is that thing moving you know, mm-hmm. downrange, um, you have a really good control of where that goes. I, 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 oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I mean, I spent a lot of time doing it. You know, yeah. It's okay, I'm going to do dummy rounds. Okay, that ingrained... Uh, a bad habit so then I'm gonna get a dry fire mag so I do that and then someone I forget who it was like okay there's this because the dry fire mag for me was only so engaging uh, and and there's no diagnostic whatsoever yeah um, yeah and so okay then I'm gonna get this this mantis x10 which does some I I think decent diagnostics I mean I don't know um, but it at least had me start thinking about, okay, I don't want to break my wrist. I don't want to slap the trigger. I don't, yeah. you know, uh, and so then I did that and I'm waiting for a cert pistol. And so anyway, I should have brought the, have a, an extra thing from Nate, an okay. extra, um, range box access. Yes. I'll send it to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Free 30 days. Use code room nation. Nice. <laughs> awesome. No, but I, I, I think it comes back to what we were talking about your some of your life experiences and the fact that you have the emotional maturity to spend the time. Two in, words never used. <laughs> this is a first for me as well. I'm like witnessing this. It's not. Uh, to be able to, and from your perception of things in the class, I'm sure you're like, oh, I went really slow and I could have gone faster. But from my perspective, I wish more beginner students stayed at the same tempo you stayed at because they don't have the patience to stay at that quality accuracy tempo because they want to go fast. And because of what you've done in your past with the patience of riding and coaching, it transfers over to shooting. Like people view shooting as just shooting. Like again, people who aren't necessarily anti-gun, like maybe somebody who was the, in the demilitarized zone like yourself at one point that didn't hate guns, wasn't really for it. They just look at like, oh, why are you going to that class? Why you spend all that money and then all that money on ammo and the drive and the lodging and the food? Like, well, why? And I tell students that, it, you know, at the end during the debrief that it's more than, yes, you came to a class that involved shooting, but if you can deal with a cognitive processing problem, deal with a malfunction in your gun, reload on the move, still acquire your sights, get on your trigger, have a good quality grip and break your shot, then that conference call or that job that you have on Monday is going to be a cakewalk because you're able to have that emotional stability and the patience to deal with the problem that, yes, does involve shooting. Well, and it's... had I taken this course in my 20s or my 30s, it yes. would have been a completely different, I would have been a, I would have gone for speed or I would have yep. done, I would have, 
like see what I can do yep. kind of a thing. And, and but there's, there's an interesting thing there is like, and, and I'll equate it to physical fitness is, is that it, it is unfortunate that the, the, the measure of improvement in shooting is speed. Yeah. Just like in fitness, it's like, oh, I had more weight. Yes. I, that means that I got stronger. Well, you didn't, did you learn anything? No, I'm, but my back hurts. Um, <laughs> like, no, but, I didn't learn anything, but it looks like a buckshot round hit my target. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and that's a, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate outcome that we have gravitated towards. But especially in fitness, it was, you know, un until things done for, t until time came in, it was like, you know, how did I measure my progress in a gym or in an artificial training situation? Well, it was I added more weight or, I, or, 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 or weight had to come off. It was never the quality of the movement. It was never understanding internally, how do I contract the muscles? How hard do I need to? In which order do things need to fire in order to move this, you know, load from here to here? That never happened. It was always just about that number. And so unfortunately with shooting, um, it seemed that speed seems to be the same surrogate for progress, regardless of, you know, the accuracy standard, which is something that, you know, I have in my head every time I go out now is a conversation. It's something that you said in Colorado was just like, hold yourself to a higher standard. Yeah. Like, don't. Yeah. Yeah. First shot out of the holster, point nine. Great. Was it, it, yeah, it was, maybe it was even somewhere in the A zone, but was it on the A? Was it where you were aiming? Do you, you know, where did you, did you call it when it went? Do you know, do you understand everything that allowed that point nine to, to, to happen? Um, and then, you know, obviously, okay, maybe you hit a point one five or point one eight split or something for the next shot, but where did that one go? Was it on top of the previous one or was it just wherever? Yeah, you the, the theory. The, you are literally responsible for each and every single round that leaves that muzzle, especially as a citizen who is in a law enforcement, military, or federal capacity, where hold where you should hold yourselves to even a higher accuracy standard because of the potential aftermath of the shooting event. People don't want to talk about that. People want, people want to talk about the gear and the kit and the 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 book of certificates from class that they went to. No do wants... you have your attorney's phone number memorized? Yes. Do you, <laughs> do you have a plan or a literal insurance for that incident post-shooting? Are you, what are you, what are you planning to say uh, or talk to law enforcement about after you were involved in this incident? These, these are things that people necessarily don't want to talk about. Instead, they just want to shoot fast and, you know, get a lot of, likes on social media or whatever it is but in your training or in your practice yes you should hold yourself to an unrealistic level of precision and accuracy not to a point where you're not able to push yourself because you're going too slow but in my opinion and even for what i do every time i'm able to get to the range by myself when i'm not traveling I'm always leaving, okay, I could have drawn faster, I could have acquired my sights better, I could have gotten, uh, or I could have taken the slack out faster, I could have had a limited reset better, I could have transitioned better. Not, again, like we talk about self-loathing, but just things that you're critiquing yourself on to never be satisfied. Because once you're satisfied, you get complacent. Once you get complacent, that's where dangerous shit can happen. But the, the other thing is, just one second, Joe. The, 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 what, everything you talked about there was like, yeah, I, I could have done this faster, I could have, but I never want to leave the range telling myself I, um, 
like if I hold myself to a high accuracy standard, I can let all of those other things slide in terms of speed or, yeah. you know, the, 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 the certainty with which the, those things, you know, the, the, the draw happens and the, or I pick up the dot faster or, you know, whatever it is. But I would, I would like it if I never left the range disappointed with my accuracy because yes. that is ultimately the most important thing is taking it. Like you said, it's taking responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it will like okay as a citizen if you are involved in that situation and you are absolved in the criminal investigation there will depending on who the recipient was most likely be a civil case of some Mm -hmm. kind and that's when everything needs to be in order with an attorney potentially with you know some insurance Mm -hmm. uh, at least certainly to cover your legal fees because you could be fucking bankrupted by that Mm -hmm. shit and so then it's almost like, I just, yeah, I, I, I just kill me because I don't want to go to court for the next 10 <laughs> fucking years. Uh, uh, it's, um, you have to, like, I recently kind of took back up skiing, cross-country skiing. Mm-hmm. I started roller skiing again, um, which I used to do a lot of in my early 20s. And... Um, the guy I used to train with, like it was always a dick measuring contest, right? And because of that, like my technique was never that great. And when, and, and that is a very technical, like technical proficiency is super key uh, in, in skiing. And when I took it back up again last year, I was like, okay, I am going to just, just slow and steady. I'm gonna like purposely try to work on the technique and and just work on that. I'm not gonna worry about how fast I'm going because eventually if I'm patient with the process, the speed's gonna come. Mm-hmm. And I believe. And, oh, yeah. and, and I've noticed, like I noticed that with the skiing, like I started doing some training again three weeks ago and I'm like, Oh shit! I'm clipping off, you know, this fast per mile, and and like that was the thing that I knew with the shooting. I need to get all the basics down. I'm not going to worry about how fast it is. I'm going to make sure that I try to do everything um, correctly, and and yeah, there were times where you had mentioned it. It's like. Okay, the wheel started to... <laughs> There's no flow state that was no, happening today. Yeah, just put some WD-40 on there. You're right. Um, but because of... I, I think like you have to have the patience to do these fundamental, foundational things in any activity. You know, like in, with the coaching that I do with, with bike racing. It's like, like, don't worry about riding fast worry about riding correctly you know worry about for longevity yeah and 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 the speed will come yeah i mean it's if you just look at any build towards endurance fitness you gotta go slow to go fast Mm -hmm. that that doesn't you know sell anything so it's not sexy yeah but so let's like so apparently 
you know, but I can sell high intensity because, you know, that gets people high and makes them feel good about themselves. And if I just trick them into saying that, hey, if you just go. Hey, it go, only go takes f- 15 minutes. Yeah. And if you just do that enough, eventually you'd be able to go long. <laughs> but in comparison to your world and what you've talked about in your books is too many people are obsessed with getting to the summit versus. Seems learn- to be the point. Or get to the midpoint on the rope. Yep. So you can lower off to the ground. But instead of taking those learned experiences from failing to get to the summit, all they think about is I failed to get to the summit. Yeah. And the same thing with shooting. Instead of looking at how difficult it was for you to fight through the problem again, you know, purposeful mal, you know, staging malfunctions in your gun or doing drills that have you process information. Instead of understanding the lessons learned in that, all I do is like, oh, wow, I shot really slow. Or uh, they completely get derailed because they took too long to process and they speed up their shooting and then their accuracy goes to shit. And the reality is that you should be able to, especially in the beginning stages of learning with shooting, if we're talking about in the context of pistol shooting, in a non-competitive sense, in a, in a context of self-preservation, you need to have that emotional maturity and stability to understand that it is for the long road. It's not, it, you know, I wish I could tell people after two days you're going to be a grandmaster USPSA shooter. That's not going to happen. This is more or less your annual, semi-annual, how many years you, how many, how many times you can get to a range or a class per year annual audit to your skill set and too many people like I said just look at it as I'm just going to come and see how fast I can shoot and at the end of the day that's that's their prerogative they wanted to they want to come here and blow through ammo and just shoot fast and their their a's their their target looks like I said like a like a buckshot round went off on it and that's fine that you know I'll I'll give them pointers but at the end of the day it's 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 up to them to have that ability to control their own throttle because at some point I got to let go of the wheel and let them run it. Oh yeah, you're gonna like end of the day on Sunday. You're not gonna see him till you know maybe ever again, or maybe just until next year or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um. And and so they need to go back. And I I think, I mean, from watching you teach and and, and that it, it, that seems to have been the end result is that like you gave people things to work on. And the means with which to work on those things and practice those things on their own. And, yes. And that's any good education. It's not like, oh, here's this, here's the paper, the certificate, and that's your name and my name, and I, that's you know that's, that's yeah. I like to have those because sometimes I look and I'm like, oh, that was a good weekend. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> or here's or, this. Or here's the secret. By the way, you got to come back to get the decoder so I can get more money from you. Like yeah. I give them everything as much as I can so they're able to sustain that without me. Like my goal, like obviously I want them to come back and come to a class for obviously financial stability, Mm -hmm. but also I want them to be able to sustain that on their own without me theoretically holding their hand. Yeah. You know, because again, if you're kind of coming back a few steps back a little bit, but if you are, uh, if you want to own a gun, that's all well and great. Um, if you want to collect, you know, guns, I know it's a lot of people that just collect relic guns, like from world war two or whatever, mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, or cloners. That's kind of a new fad where people try to clone 
rifles or handguns specific to a certain era in the military. Like guys will try to make an M4 clone to what was used in Mogadishu, you know, uh, during Operation Gothic Serpent. It, it, it's a thing. It's oh, no a real. Shit. Oh yeah, people will pay like five hundred dollars oh. for a shit pistol grip that was on an M4 back in nineteen ninety one or whatever. It'll, you should see the forums. It's it's ridiculous, but. If you want to do no, that, no, I shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. I do appreciate <laughs> yeah. the uh, recommendation, however. Uh, but just because you do those things doesn't mean that it automatically transfers over to self-defense. If you want to carry a gun in the preservation of yourself, your loved ones, your teammate, your partner, whoever it is, it is a skill set that starts to dissipate very quickly, and it's something that you need to do as often as you can consistently and that's going to be subjective to I like I tell students it's subjective to your family life your work life funding all that type of thing yeah. um, but it's on you and if, if you can't co- not consciously but confidently ha- say that I can get to the range where I can get my dry fire in then in my opinion you should have the emotional stability to say okay I'm not going to carry anymore yeah. The, I'd, Which I'd actually, say, I mean, this is just from personal experience. I mean, I was shooting a lot when I was shooting a lot, and I felt totally fine carrying. At some point, it started getting like, oh, I'm now I'm not, sh- I'm going to the range once a month. Now it's once every three months. Now I haven't been, and I don't know fucking how long. Okay, I'm not doing this because I don't. I and and then just then I just lost it for like five years. Probably didn't carry, didn't even think about. It. Yeah, I owned them and that, and uh, you know, every now and then I'd go look at them. Oh, look, they're still here. They didn't <laughs> run off. They didn't automatically, accidentally, you know, go off because kill a child. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll, the old joke was like, you can't sleep with a gun on the coffee table. It might fall off and sh- and kill the dog. Like. So that's why they have those laws in California, you know, the drop law or whatever the, the you know, or the drop test in California. But um, the, uh, but yeah, you need to abdicate that responsibility. You know, you need to be willing to say, look, I am not current. Therefore, I can't be responsible for where the pellets go. Therefore, I shouldn't carry. But Mark, They're, that hurts my ego. Uh, yeah. If I have to have that conversation, I, I can't confidently do that because I lack that emotional maturity. Well, <laughs> have you tried therapy? <laughs> yeah, so that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, actually. <laughs> People make the time to do the things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's... Sitting on the couch on Sundays and stuff That's in my the face. bottom line. You make the time do the things that you claim are important to you. Yeah. And everybody's priority is going to be subjective like to like to to themselves and their lifestyle. And sometimes priorities in air quotes here uh need to be altered for the sustainability of your life. Like maybe sitting on the couch stuffing your face or uh playing video games and you when you go to your you know yearly checkup they tell you you're morbidly obese maybe you should alter your quote-unquote priorities that you do with your bros and that's yeah, but if the doctor who's telling you that you are morbidly obese is also mor- morbidly obese you're like wait is that a double negative so it's a positive is yeah that eventually works? like two of you get together um <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna have to cut you out of a house eventually. But uh, but but I mean, if that like, how do I? I can't take that from a 
you know, I had a GP for a while who was, who was great. He was like skier, mountain biker, yeah. whatever, pretty fit guy. Yeah. And, um, and it was great. I'd go see him and he'd talk to me about certain, you know, some shit I might have going on and like, okay, I'll take it from you, but because I know that you're looking after yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, it's not dissimilar in fitness or in, in, in shooting educate, you know, any of that stuff. It's just like, Hey man, the messenger matters. And like, you could be, um, we, we encountered someone today, the three of us that, um, none of us could learn anything from. <laughs> yep. And even I'm the fucking like, new guy in the room recognized it, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, it, it, and, and so the, I, I think the, the, the messenger mattered and in, and that instructional sense, there's, um, I've talked about this in, in the past, but like my introduction to, you know, competitive shooting was from uh, a guy named Ron Avery, um, RIP, yep. uh, you know, who was, a, I mean, he shot on the super squad with a bunch of other guys that I became acquainted with later. And, and uh, I mean, absolutely incredible like and a that. good instructor, mm-hmm. but we didn't resonate personality wise. And yeah, I can so, see that. yep yep and and, you know i spent three or four days with him or you know uh uh, two different times really and and then we'd encounter him uh off and on if you'd come up to uh bowler where we were living for a match or something and and uh and he uh but but we didn't resonate so i couldn't learn as effectively as as i could have physically intellectually spiritually so but the people that i did gravitate the two that guys that helped me out absolutely the most i mean it was robbie and brian and um and and each of them in their in a different era Mm -hmm. was uh because we all change we all grow and we hear things we need different messengers at different times different instructors different experiences in order to help us grow at different times and finding those people super important and Mm -hmm. like getting I mean, for me, uh, this year, you know, starting back into shooting, um, yeah, it was, however it happened, which I can't exactly, you know, map out in my head right now, but like, oh yeah, this is, this is who I can learn from, who I need to like, like be around right now. And then that's, um, opened up a bunch of other synchronicities. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you just, yeah, open, be open, folks. <laughs> Empty <laughs> your cup. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like, in, and I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this, but in all my travels, probably the most emotionally insecure people I know are those 97, 98% of gun owners that aren't coming to classes and putting the work, not just my classes, just classes Gen- or yeah. consistent training if you are going to carry. And the reason being so they believe it's this magical talisman that's gonna ward away the, the bad guy. And the reality is is that it's more than just being able to go to a range on a flat range and you know do 10 rounds slow fire in a bullseye style target. You know, like are you okay with being able to you know, use the gun appropriately in defense of yourself, your loved ones being able to deal with the ringing in your ears because you had to draw your gun inside of a parking garage. Are you okay with 
um, you know, the smell of searing fresh flesh as those rounds burn through the individual. Are you okay with the person coughing up blood and still trying to come at you with a blade? Like, are you emotionally okay with all of those things that aren't immediately talked about in the context of carrying a gun for the protection of yourself? And I think people mislabel it or misinterpret it that I have a gun, you know, I'm well and good. And it's more than just that. Like a, a lot of people, as we saw today, uh, think that, you know, I'm a gun owner, I'm good. But the reality is that you should, like, and I don't expect you to be the next, you know, CrossFit Games number one athlete in regards to your fitness. But if you're out of breath by walking up a flight of stairs and, you know, uh, you're not okay with a little bit of physical movement, then the last thing that you should be worrying about is the next gun to add to your safe or whatever it yeah. is. Like if if you're shortening your overall long, longevity by living because you're not taking appropriate health measures, then a gun isn't going to fix it. And I think another <laughs> thing, that, I mean, just with the, are you okay with the ringing in your ears? I'm just like, hey, I encourage everyone to... Uh, discharge a full power nine by 23 inside of a motor vehicle with no <laughs> eyes or ears on. And that's going to change your fucking world for about five days for sure. At least yep. with vis-a-vis -vis your ears. Um, but you just realize like it's not going to like, if the tool is for that purpose, then it needs to be, you need to have that experience before that purpose needs to, you know, ever arises yep. and you're not going to control the situation. You're not going to have eyes and ears on. I'm sorry. Nope. Yeah. In my, you know, if I get to one of my bags, you know, if I in a messenger bag, yeah, I can put earplugs or at least at least I wear because, hey, can't see, can't fight. Yeah. Um, so that to me is like, yeah, fuck, you don't have your ears on. I don't care. Um, but man, if I can protect my eyes, especially if I have a comp on the gun, you know, it, something like that, like. Uh, it, it, yeah, there's more than than the, and, and I wish, you know, um, instead of a. Uh, saying what the fuck I may as well get it I would have rather seen that money get spent on you know further education the thought the <laughs> thought actually the thought actually went through my head today of of uh, I wonder if we should just be doing this without the ear protection on because I'm not going to put earplugs in and, a, and that's certainly going to be a sensory like some input like that was oh, a yeah. thought that actually went through my head today <laughs> so, I like it. Yeah. Thinking outside the box right here. Exactly. <laughs> Never had any problems with that. <laughs> yes. And when did you start with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Um, I started that uh, back in 2012 um, at a school in Salem, Massachusetts, actually, uh, North Shore Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I honestly started that because I had a moment we'll say in a um force on force class which i, re I recommend every able-bodied firearm concealed carry owner to take it's by a friend and uh, a person i consider a mentor in the teaching space named craig douglas of shivworks mm -hmm. um craig uh spent some time uh spent 21 years law enforcement two of those years in an undercover capacity um, buying, selling dope out of cars in uh, New Orleans. So Ooh. he had his fair share of dealing with violence. And uh, 
one of his flagship courses that he teaches all around, not only the U.S., but over in Europe, too. Mm-hmm. Um, teaches over in the U.K., stuff like that. But one of his flagship courses is called ECQC, or Extreme Close Quarters Concepts. And it's a two-and-a-half-day uh, force-on-force class. There's a little bit of live fire, but most of it is done um, with uh, simunitions and protective helmets and that sort of thing. And uh, when I first took that class, I had just got in the military. I had just gotten into some... Uh, blade work by another friend mentor of mine, Tom Sotis. He developed the Amok combative system, um, a, very, a variation of Pekiti Tessira, which is another form of blade work. And um, I thought I'd be okay in this class because, again, I was a Marine. I took some blade work. And when you are taken to the ground by another grown-ass man and you feel him disarm your blade trainer off of your own body and you feel it dig into your own rib cage. that's a real eye-opener, real eye-opener for you. And it honestly took me a few minutes to recollect myself after the evolution to really come to term with it. And I told myself I never want to feel that way again because uh, wow. I had never wrestled or done combatives prior to that. Like obviously we did a little bit in the Marine Corps, but nothing really in-depth. And that's when I swore I, I got to figure this problem out. And I wanted to take, or start, or wanted to start Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a while. But again, um, I guess I was too scared to take that leap. And I finally took that, putting myself in the worst case scenario, literally, to figure it out and say I never want to feel that way again. And uh, started in 2012. And my first expectation is, oh, well, I'll just do it for like six months. And maybe I'll move into something else. And that never happened. And now here I am almost nine years later still doing it and I moved up to New Hampshire like I said in 14 and thankfully there's another school close by and I've been uh, going there ever since and uh, currently uh, I'm I'm a purple belt and I help out uh, sometimes with the kids classes and I usually when I'm not traveling I I go there for pretty consistent with my noon classes so I go to I go about two to three times a week nice yep well it's like what we were talking about last night the what was it 15 minutes or 20 minutes that I did with you and Josh Tyler and like Josh was on top of me I was like what the fuck is going on here like yep like that just this the speed of the movement he came at you like a spider monkey he definitely came at me like a spider monkey and he, but he was not all hyped up on Mountain Dew I'll tell you that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. but yeah. it was just like oh fuck yep. <laughs> like, I don't I don't want to experience this in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and that's why, you know, people think that I just have a gun. It's a solution to the problem. When in reality, maybe a gun isn't the answer because you're in an entanglement with somebody else. And the last thing you want to do is draw because now you have an out of holster retention problem because the guy's grabbing the muzzle. You got a round off. Now it induced a malfunction because the side didn't slide or the side didn't reciprocate properly. Now you have a dead gun. Now you have another problem to deal with. And people don't think about that because they always think that, oh, I, you know, train at 25 yards. I'm always going to be able to draw 25 yards. And the reality is that we are closer on a day-to-day basis with other people within that, within two arms reach distance more often than we actually believe. Well, and one of the things that we had an incident, uh, with a guy um, out on a ride, and he had. And you are like a pension for bad luck in riding. Remember, never to get on a ride with you. No, if you if you look at no, it, you should, Ian, because you, you might get. A I free should. I'll, I'll, I'll have my chest rig on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> remember how many miles I ride. Yes. So then, you know, maybe then it doesn't seem as often, but uh, we, we had an incident with a guy and we all took photos of the guy. Yep. And we actually called the police and they came and took a report. That's not the important part of the story. But when I was looking at the photo, I was like, well, what does he have in his hand? And I was looking at it and like, that looks like a collapsible baton to me. And then that was, so within, I want to say immediately, I'm like, oh, that might be a good idea to carry. So I ordered a collapsible baton. And, and I went for one that was fairly small and pretty light and kind of looks like a frame pump and is easy to carry. Get on the mat with Josh and, and I suddenly realized Oh fuck! I don't want to have to worry about what I'm doing with this collapsible baton. Cause my hands are busy. <laughs> right, and and I don't want to drop it because then Josh is going to have the collapsible baton, and then like I definitely don't want that. So that kind of like I don't think I'm going to roll with the collapsible baton anymore, <laughs> just because I haven't under. Once I got into an artificial uh, uh, engagement. It was like, oh, this is not going at all the way I thought it yeah. might go. Yep. You can make up stuff. Um, There's that moment. There's that learning moment right there. <laughs> yeah. More tools, more problems. Yes. In in, in a way, and actually, in, um, uh, the guy that I met last year, this time last year, um, up at the Idaho National Lab, I uh, went up to give a talk up there, and they have a you know quite a protective team up there because they're storing nuclear material. Um, and uh, this guy Adam Boyce, and he's, uh, I guess, a student or maybe compatriot of Michael Janich. Mm -hmm. So yes. that guy's been yep. around the blade for oh, ever. Yeah. Yep. Um, and one of the things Adam he just posted on social media sometime this summer, and it was like, hey, if you don't, if you carry a gun and you don't study combatives, and you know, in any way, you're just a holster for another person's weapon. And mm -hmm. I was yeah. like, oh, that. You know, yeah, because you can't guarantee, yeah, I shoot at 25, you know, or whatever. And we were talking earlier in the summer, okay, most of these things happen. They start like, or if if it goes to firearms, it's the, the distance is that the length of a four-door sedan. The disparity of space is not guaranteed. Yeah. And so suddenly I need to be able to control the space a little bit better. I need to be able to, to you know, get at least two beats in, you know, stall two beats in some way in the action in order to get access to a tool of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and then I spent three days with Bill uh, Rapier from Amtac, and two of those days were, you know, it was integrated uh, combative, so it was blade and pistol. And that opened the eyes even more, and then it's how sort of Fight Club started with Josh, and um, because just to sort of understand things in that close, you know, contact distance of, man, what if I can't assume the position, you know? take the time to clear the garment, you know, like all of this stuff or what, and it's, and it's the stuff that you, that like having the tool, like, I mean, that's a perfect example, Joe, of like, I bought the baton and I thought that would be a good thing, but it just like more tools, more problems, or it, it doesn't like the situation isn't as you imagine, like the tool doesn't, isn't magical. In and, fact, it's the opposite. And it's, perhaps me escalating to that, to that, and even just the means you know, the dude goes back to the car and gets a tire iron, which gives him a little more length. Yeah. 
you know, a little more reach on you. A little more heft. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And also a bit more. Yeah. Cause if I can, I don't know, like it's not even the baton you got. It's not even a, six, it's like a baby baton. It's baton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like the one that you the one that you're willing to carry is the one that doesn't work, <laughs> right? It's, it's also like that. <laughs> Pretty much, it's also like that tiny little pistol thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're it's, number one. I know. It's, it, I know. It, it, it's also just having a simple understanding of what's immediately around you, and so and so many people are um, so task fixated on stuff that isn't necessarily that important that they forget what's around them and especially in an urban landscape like obviously i live out in the sticks so i'm you know i've had to use my farms more on wildlife attacking my coop than yeah. i have people um but you know living in the city for you know for many many years going into boston for many many years and, and dealing with that and working doors and dealing with that type of stuff um being able to remove yourself from the situation beforehand, if applicable, or at the very minimum, be able to de-escalate the situation through confidence in your verbal acuity, in my opinion, is just as important, if not more important than actually carrying a gun. Like I always tell people the gun is your last resort. Like you've gone through every other option possible, could remove yourself, verbalization failed, you tried to do some offensive techniques or some defensive techniques. Now it's on. You can't, you can't control them for whatever reason. Now I have to go to lethal force. Yeah. Um, like if I can call my, yeah, you're right, dude. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a piece of shit, whatever it is, you know, dealing with the bar. You're right. Yep, totally. You're so much more of a man than me. Being able to take that step back. Again, have the emotional intelligence to deal with it and then be able to go home to my family at the end of the day without having to fire around. That's a win for me as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. 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 And we get fixated. I mean, the, the, the idea that, you know, 300% increase or 4 million new firearm owners or whatever in the country, just like, okay, you, th this is not the... Um, a useful road to go or to get fixated on like yeah i'd like a parallel path even if it's a you know dirt road um where i don't need to have you know that memory in my head for the you know for however long i'm going to spend in fucking prison or mm -hmm. whatever fines i'm going to pay or whatever afterwards it, like fuck no let's just not let that reach that point what we call tactical masturbation. People envisioning this crazy incident where, you know, it's like a John Wick scene and they do a build drill on somebody, do a reload transition, next target, and then the hero and they get the key to the city. Yeah. You know, that's anything but. It's going to be on the worst day of your life. <laughs> it's going to be when you're in the middle of the night. It's going to be raining out. It's going to be diminished light. Maybe you're already injured. You're, you you got you know a haymaker. You're fainting for consciousness. Now you're in a grappling scenario. You have to get control of the hands, and now is the opportunity to pull your gun. You know it's not going to be when you have the sun to your back, no wind, perfect seventy-five degree day. You know at your best, going to be at your worst. None of those weather conditions exist here. No, because we are in, we are in Dagobah. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> Just waiting for Yoda to, uh, to come out of the woods from his mud hut. Oh, man. I've always said that about driving. It's like, it's never going to be just a deer. Yep. It's going to be 
steep downhill left-hander, slightly off camber, a bunch of gravel, and then the deer. And it'll be night. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Or something. Excess speed and, may be involved. And you won't have any service for your cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck. I have a question. I'm ready. The origin of Rune Nation. The most, that's probably the most often asked question. So we'll answer it so everybody knows now. Yeah. Because um, I have not asked you to this point. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I had always had an interest, uh, or I think everybody should have an interest in their lineage. Uh, where, where they came from, their family line. I don't care where you're from. You should always, in my opinion, kind of have at least an understanding of where you came from, because especially in today's day and age where a majority of people are very pacifist in their life and, you know, believe in sunshine and rainbows. Like, no, at some point in time, you tra- if you trace your bloodline back far enough, one of your ancestors killed another person for that piece of meat or for that land or for whatever it is. Like, it's not all all hugs and rainbows you know it, it's yeah. there there was violence at some point in time in your bloodline um so i could only i, I did the whole ancestry.com thing probably maybe six or seven years ago you know mm-hmm. paid for the membership did all that um i could only go so far back on my uh mother's side because um she's of uh German Jewish heritage and obviously a lot of that records was lost in the Holocaust yeah um, and I went back on my dad's side and my dad doesn't really know too much about his his background with um, tracing his family back far enough so I traced part of his family back to actually the original uh, immigrants on the late on the Mayflower when they first came to Plymouth yeah. um, and then another to towards uh, Sweden and then obviously once they came or yeah, once they came here, obviously they changed their name, so I couldn't go super far back because because of the name change. But um, I had never personally been uh, a very religious individual growing up. I never went to you know synagogue. I never went to church, anything like that. And you know my parents never forced it. Um, and I kind of found a lot of interest in the, um, the the idea of what this Scandinavian folk. Um, you know, worshipped in regards to the old gods. Like it's a very polytheistic versus monotheistic type mm-hmm. of religion. You know, um, just like the Roman pantheon, there's a lot of parallels and it's obvious, right? You got Zeus, you got Odin, you got Ares, you got Tyr. Um, so I found a lot of interest in that and also the fact that if you look in the lore and the tales, a lot of them have human-like qualities. They're not perfect they're imperfect creatures just like us that's why you have characters like loki who do things to screw around with humans because again the the gods have very human-like qualities just like we do they're not this all-seeing all-knowing type thing um and then from there i I got an interest in obviously their language uh or their alphabet which is known as either the elder or the younger futhark alphabet and those are what is known as runes and that's what i have on my hand, uh, hands here, and um, that's basically, you know, it's kind of similar to the Chinese Mandarin, where each letter has a phonetic pronunciation and a meaning behind it, um, so that is kind of the rune portion of rune nation, then obviously nation, because I travel all over the 
U.S. teaching, and I wanted a I wanted a name that wasn't blank and blank, dynamic, tactical, whatever else. You know, I I wanted something that obviously spanned a conversation like we're having now, yeah. and kind of stood out from the rest, more or less. Yeah, yeah, because because I feel like especially in this industry, there's a lot of just rinse and repeat or we'll just change this word around and here we got a company like I, I wanted to I wanted it to be more than than just teaching people I wanted it to be about writing I wanted it to be about people understanding their limitations and blowing past I wanted you know to understand people understand that it's more than just shooting it's a lifestyle choice it's the physical aspect of it all those type of things and the integrated nature of not only the physical expression but the the dare I say spirituality yes um, that, that goes with it and there's and there is a deep history that you know if we say what do we what was it earlier we're the sum of our experience yes we also we are we are our we are where we come from you know, yes part of that but we also we're we are our habits and we, we develop um, a spiritual expression you know, or, or let's see a, a spiritual connection to the, these physical acts or a meaning behind it, or why am I doing this thing? It's not just, okay, I want to stand on the podium at the end of the thing. It, it, this has a deeper meaning because it's connected to my personal philosophy, to my politics, to you know, all of these other things. I think it's not just um, you know, a simple act. Every act should have a, a why, and that why should not be only three feet deep. Yes, and uh, I think it, should com- it just comes down to people lacking the interest or the desire to spawn those questions for critical thinking. And I think it's because it terrifies most people to take responsibility for their own actions. They want to point and blame, and it's their fault, it's his fault, whatever it is, when in reality, regardless of how many external factors are affecting you, um, you need to be responsible for your own actions, your own mastery of your own health, your, um, your own mental health, your physical health, um, the pot. Sorry, I'm going yeah. to interrupt just, just because, so we've gone back and forth, you know, we've been having a year long conversation about COVID and, 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 and people's response to it and that sort of thing. Um, and when we're, when we abdicate responsibility to somebody else, part yeah. of that I think is, I mean, yeah, there's an obedience gene for sure. And some people they just want to be told what to do so they don't yeah. have to think um but but I, I i think sometimes that okay i'm gonna take this person's word because i don't trust my own intellect mm-hmm. um seems to be a thing yes. like the, the, and and part of um what something that i tie to the tool that we have been talking you know to the fire to the personal autonomy to the ideas that we've been talking about is is this um there's something about like well educate yourself enough then like take responsibility not only you know in the in the in the context of you know safety whatever take responsibility for for you know your, your own personal safety don't put that in the hands of others because what is the stupid thing call a cop call a for a pizza um, see who comes y- first. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. you know, less 30 minutes or less, um, for that one pizza provider. Um, <laughs> if you could call that pizza, cause we had some damn fine pizza today. Yeah, we did. Jeez. Prosciutto. Um, it, the, but, but, but if you, but so then take responsibility for what you know and how you, you know, educate, educate yourself so that you don't have to abdicate responsibility to a leader or leaders who we all were mocking 
for a long time, especially here, you know, depending on which side you were believing in or whatever. But, but the, 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 I think it's important to take responsibility, not for, not only for our actions and, and the acts that the, the acts that we do, but also for how we think and what the information that we consume and, and what, and not giving up and just letting someone say, Hey, do this. And then I'm going to fucking do it. I mean, obviously nobody in this room <laughs> behaves that way, but I I've been trying to understand how this, how it happened that there's just this wave of subservient attitude. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a subservient thing to it, but it's also just like, Hey, you can look up the mechanisms of transmission of this particular virus, the percentage of transmissibility in this situation, that situation, this other situation over here, you, you, yeah, obviously, you know, there's, you, you can't look up, you know, in real time, your own personal susceptibility in the moment that you walk into the place, yeah. but at least fucking have an idea rather than just like, because the only, you know, only by people thinking on their own rather than just doing, you know, being obedient um, are we going to grow and learn, understand this, not only life, but this particular thing. It's like, we need more people thinking more clearly about it. Well, for, for learning the, the road is long and the road is hard. And for most people, especially in the societal construct that we're in, people want things here now, yesterday, they don't want to put in the work for this result that may happen 10 years from now. It's, it's, it takes too long for them. They don't have, again, come, come back again with the emotional maturity, but they lack the depth of that or their, their own understanding of themselves as to how to grow themselves. And instead of taking that responsibility on, again, they point at others, they blame, instead of understanding that you ended up in the situation because of X, Y, Z, and I failed to do whatever it else may be um, but, but you're not getting it sooner because you're doing by yeah. doing what you're told yeah like you want a good outcome hey maybe you need to do some work yeah do some thinking but it's it, it's it's they don't want to empty their cup they don't want to be beginners or new people again in whatever thing that they're looking to do um, they don't want to put themselves, and I feel like that's why you see a, not a lot of gun owners come to classes. They don't want to put themselves in front of other people that they may necessarily don't know to show off their or perform to their personal level of skill, even if that does mean failure. Like, as I say in classes, no one comes to a class to show off how good they are. People come here, at least in my classes, to, to, to have that emotional maturity to know that they are going to potentially fail in this class, and that failure is a surefire way to understand your, where your breaking points are, but that's where growth occurs. You're not going to grow by staying in your bubble of comfort. You have to inherently break through that glass ceiling that you've made for yourself, fail a little bit, and then grow in the end because of it. Joe Holmes. <laughs> Mark Dwight. Last one? Last co Anything? I, I got nothing. I thought that was a great... Good way to end it. <laughs> a really good way to <laughs> go to class, folks. Like empty the cup and 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 uh, yeah, set the hubris aside. Get a little bit of humility. Buy the ticket. 
Take the ride. There you go. Fuck. Ian, thank you. Thank you. It's been um, awesome. RuneNation.com? Yes. Uh, RuneNationLLC.com. LLC.com. Yep. Um, yeah. On there, I got 24 classes up for 21 already. Nice. Um, from February all the way till October. Um, that's constantly changing and adapting, obviously, for the world that we're living in. Yeah. Um, and you've got a couple more joint ones next year. Yep. So I have three collab classes, all at my home range in Keene, New Hampshire. Uh, one in April with Chris Woomer of Veal Solutions. One with Drew Estelle of Bear Solutions in uh, August. And then one with my uh, buddy Rick from Achilles Hill Tactical. He'll be up uh, in September. Um, so that's all on the site. Along with that, I'm doing my, as we talked about earlier, with the price of ammunition and people really not knowing what to do in their downtime with lack of ammunition. I've been offering um, my remote coaching. It basically gives you an idea of what to work on in your dry fire. It doesn't always have to be dry fire. If you have ammo to spend, we'll plug it in, but it's basically personalized and customized programming for um, for your firearm. And uh, you know, I'm able to write it personally for your lifestyle. You know, if you can dedicate four days a week, three days a week, even two, whatever it may be, I plug it in. You uh, video yourself in the beginning stages, gaining your baseline. I critique it. I send it back and you can have exponential growth uh, because of that. Um, and it, like I said, it gives you an idea of how to grow even if ammunition isn't readily available. I mean, just with the available, it seems that people are going, practicing more dry now, obviously because of the ammunition thing. But, the, and one of the reasons that I, I know this is because like, as Joe found out, you can't buy a cert, like a cert pistol is like four weeks out on delivery time. You know, yep. the Mantis is kind of in a similar situation or was earlier um, when we were looking around for them and, and stuff and, and uh, dry fire mags, things yep. like that. People were, you know, so people are practicing apparently. And yes. I think actually having, um, and yeah, we can do it on our own, of course, but having the guidance is, is like, it's a cool thing. So I'm pretty stoked to see that. And then also, um, what Nate is offering with range Fox. Yes. Um, yes. So, also, you know, a guy in the, in the tribe. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, Nate offers basically where I give the critiquing portion of it. Nate offers you in range Fox, which is currently only available for iPhone in the process for Android. Um, that gives you basically a library of drills and gives you your, your ability to write your own programming. Uh, and, and again, it has all pre-built drills, has dry fire. It gives you basically a pie graph of your dry fire versus live fire time. And it's, it's another great um, additional benefit to add to your own personal uh, practice. Yeah. Nice. I'm going to say uh, today was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me out. Thank you for uh, give me a place to sleep. It was awesome. <laughs> and uh, I hope to uh, be back again soon. Cool. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll see each other all again. At some point. So With masks on. Yeah. Yes. That's when we'll see each other again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>